Section 4b, Air Force Doctrine. Uses of Doctrine. One way to explore good doctrine is to use a compare and contrast model to walk through some key issues. This technique also amplifies the point that doctrine should be written broadly, allowing decision-makers latitude in interpretation and flexibility in application, yet be specific enough to provide informed guidance. This technique also illustrates the use of doctrine in explaining contentious issues and how doctrine can be used to think more effectively about the best means to integrate various aspects of military power and organization. In the following discussion, there may be overlap among some of the principles expressed. This is desirable in that often there are different aspects or nuances to a particular issue. In doctrine, language is important. Finally, the following discussion presents an Air Force perspective. Not all services may entirely agree with these points. Reference, Volume 1-Basic Doctrine. Doctrine is about warfighting, not physics. This principle specifically addresses the perceived differences between operations in air, space, and cyberspace. Air, space, and cyberspace are separate domains requiring exploitation of different sets of physical laws to operate in, but are linked by the effects they can produce together. To achieve a common purpose, air, space, and cyberspace capabilities need to be integrated. Therefore, Air Force doctrine focuses on the best means to obtain warfighting effects regardless of the medium in which a platform operates. As an example, airmen should be concerned with the best means of employing intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance capabilities, not whether a particular intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance platform is airborne or in orbit. This is requisite to achieving true integration across any given collection of forces. Doctrine is about effects, not platforms. This focuses on the desired outcome of a particular action, not on the system or weapon itself that provides the effect. For example, doctrine states that airmen should seek to achieve air superiority, but doctrine does not focus on which platforms should be used to achieve that effect. A parallel example of this is seen in the recognition that bombers are not strategic, nor are fighters tactical. Similarly, it does not matter if an F-16 or a B-52 accomplishes a given task, or whether a particular platform is manned or unmanned, or whether a C-17 or a C-130 delivers a certain load. The outcome of the mission, the effect achieved, is what's important. Thus, Air Force doctrine does not explicitly tie specific weapon systems to specific tasks or effects. Doctrine is about using mediums, not owning mediums. This illustrates the importance of properly using a medium to obtain the best warfighting effects, not of carving up the battle space based on service or functional parochialism. Focusing on using a medium is a vital first step to integration of efforts, Ownership arguments eventually lead to suboptimal, and usually at best tactical, application of efforts at the expense of the larger total effort. Doctrine is about organization, not organizations. Modern warfare demands that disparate parts of different services, different nations, and even differing functions within a single service be brought together intelligently to achieve unity of command and unity of effort. However, Merely placing different organizations together in an area of operations is insufficient to meet these demands. A single, cohesive organization is required, with clearly defined lines of command and commanders with requisite authorities at appropriate levels. Doctrine explains why certain organizational structures are preferred over others and describes effective command relationships and command authorities. 
This facilitates the rapid stand-up of joint and service organizations during rapidly evolving situations. Ultimately, doctrine is not about whether one particular element of a joint force is more decisive than another, nor about positing that element as the centerpiece of joint operations. It's the total, tailored joint force that's decisive. Getting to that effective joint force requires smart organization and a thorough understanding of service and joint doctrine. Doctrine is about synergy, not segregation. True integration of effort cannot be achieved by merely carving up the operational environment. While segregation may have some benefit and may appear the simplest way, from a command and control viewpoint, to manage elements of a diverse joint force, it may actually suboptimize the overall effort. It guarantees that the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. For example, airmen should have access to the entire theater of operations to maximize their ability to achieve joint force commander objectives. They should not be restricted from any area due to unnecessarily restrictive fire control measures. Also, segregating the battle space into smaller areas of operation may create competition for scarce, high-demand, low-density capabilities and reduce combat effectiveness. Doctrine is about integration, not just synchronization. Synchronization is defined as the arrangement of military actions in time, space, and purpose to produce maximum relative combat power at a decisive place and time. Joint Publication 1-02 Integration, by comparison, is defined as the arrangement of military forces and their actions to create a force that operates by engaging as a whole. Joint Publication 1-02 Synchronization is, in essence, deconfliction in time and space between different units. A useful means is to plan and execute operations and to prevent fratricide. However, it doesn't scale up to the operational level and hence is not the best means for achieving the maximum potential of a joint force. Synchronization emphasizes timing, while integration considers priority and effect to be both efficient and effective with scarce resources. Synchronization is bottom-up. Integration, on the other hand, starts at the top with a single cohesive plan and works downward. Synchronization is an additive sum-of-the-parts model while integration may produce geometric results. Doctrine is about the right force, not just equal shares of the force. This addresses the proper mix of service components within a joint force. Some believe that a joint force requires equal parts of all the services. This is an incorrect view. As one senior Air Force officer said, joint warfighting is not like Little League Baseball where everybody gets a chance to play. Any given joint force should be tailored appropriately for the task at hand. Some operations will be land-centric, others air-centric, others maritime, cyberspace, or information-centric. The composition of the joint force and the tasks assigned its various elements should reflect the needs of the situation. Levels of Air Power Doctrine As implemented in the Air Force, doctrine affects operations at three levels, basic, operational, and tactical. These levels speak to the intellectual content of the doctrinal concepts, not to the architectural structure of doctrine publications. Reference, Volume 1-Basic Doctrine. Basic Doctrine states the most fundamental and enduring beliefs that describe and guide the proper use, presentation, and organization of forces in military action. Basic Doctrine describes the elemental properties of air power and provides the airman's perspective. Because of its fundamental and enduring character, 
Basic Doctrine provides broad and continuing guidance on how Air Force forces are organized, employed, equipped, and sustained. Because it expresses broad, enduring fundamentals, Basic Doctrine changes relatively slowly compared to the other levels of doctrine. As the foundation of all doctrine, Basic Doctrine also sets the tone and vision for doctrine development for the future. Air Force Doctrine, Volume 1, is the Air Force's basic doctrine publication. Operational doctrine, contained in doctrine annexes, describe more detailed organization of forces and applies the principles of basic doctrine to military actions. Operational doctrine guides the proper organization and employment of air, space, and cyberspace forces in the context of distinct objectives, force capabilities, broad functional areas, and operational environments. Operational doctrine provides the focus for developing the missions and tasks to be executed through tactical doctrine. Doctrine at this level changes a bit more rapidly than basic doctrine, but usually only after deliberate internal service debate. Tactical doctrine describes the proper employment of specific Air Force assets, individually or in concert with other assets, to accomplish detailed objectives. Tactical doctrine considers particular objectives, stopping the advance of an armored column, and conditions threats, weather, and terrain, and describes how Air Force assets are employed to accomplish the tactical objective, B-1 bombers dropping anti-armor cluster munitions. Air Force tactical doctrine is codified as tactics, techniques, and procedures in Air Force, Air Force tactics, techniques, and procedures, dash three series manuals. Because tactical doctrine is closely associated with the employment of technology and emerging tactics, change will likely occur more rapidly than other levels of doctrine. Also, due to their sensitive nature, many tactics, techniques, and procedures are classified. Air power. Air power is defined as the ability to project military power or influence through the control and exploitation of air, space, and cyberspace to achieve strategic, operational, or tactical objectives. The proper application of air power requires a comprehensive doctrine of employment and an airman's perspective. As the nation's most comprehensive provider of military air power, the Air Force conducts continuous and concurrent air, space, and cyberspace operations. The air, space, and cyberspace capabilities of the other services serve primarily to support their organic maneuver paradigms. The Air Force employs air, space, and cyberspace capabilities with a broader focus on theater-wide and national-level objectives. Through air power, the Air Force provides the versatile, wide-ranging means towards achieving national objectives with the ability to deter and respond immediately to crises anywhere in the world. Reference, Volume 1-Basic Doctrine. Air power exploits the third dimension of the operational environment, the electromagnetic spectrum, and time to leverage speed, range, flexibility, precision, tempo, and lethality to create effects from and within the air, space, and cyberspace domains. From this multidimensional perspective, airmen can apply military power against an enemy's entire array of diplomatic, informational, military, and economic instruments of power at long ranges and on short notice. Air power can be applied across the strategic, operational, and tactical levels of war simultaneously, significantly increasing the options available to national leadership. Due to its range, speed, and flexibility, air power can compress time, controlling the tempo of operations in our favor. Air power should be employed with appropriate consideration of land and maritime power, not just during operations against enemy forces, but when used as a part of a team that protects and aids friendly forces as well.
Much of what air power can accomplish from within these three domains is done to critically affect events in the land and maritime domains. This is the heart of joint domain integration, a fundamental aspect of air power's contribution to the United States-U.S. national interests. Airmen integrate capabilities across air, space, and cyberspace domains to achieve effects across all domains in support of joint force commander objectives. For example, a remotely piloted aircraft operating from a ground station in the continental U.S. relies on space and cyberspace capabilities to support operations overseas. While all services rely more and more on such integration, cross-domain integration is fundamental to how airmen employ air power to complement the joint force. Airmen exploit the third dimension, which consists of the entire expanse above the Earth's surface. The third dimension's lower limit is the Earth's surface, land or water, and the upper limit reaches toward infinity. This third dimension consists of the air and space domains. From an operational perspective, The air domain can be described as that region above the Earth's surface in which aerodynamics generally govern the planning and conduct of military operations, while the space domain can be described as that region above the Earth's surface in which astrodynamics generally govern the planning and conduct of military operations. Airmen also exploit operational capabilities in cyberspace. Cyberspace is a global domain within the information environment consisting of the interdependent network of information technology infrastructures, including the Internet, telecommunications networks, computer systems, and embedded processors and controllers. In contrast to our surface-oriented sister services, the Air Force uses air, space, and cyberspace capabilities to create effects, including many on land and in the maritime domains, that are ends unto themselves, not just in support of predominantly land or maritime force activities. The evolution of contemporary air power stems from the airmen's original vision of combat from a distance, bypassing the force-on-force clash of surface combat. Originally manifest in long-range aircraft delivering kinetic weapons, air power has evolved over time to include many long-range supporting capabilities, notably the conduct of networked information-related operations. This evolution has accelerated as airmen conduct a greater percentage of operations not just over the horizon but globally, expanding operations first through space and now also in cyberspace. Just as air power grew from its initial use as an adjunct to surface operations, Space and cyberspace have likewise grown from their original manifestations as supporting capabilities into warfighting arenas in their own right. Air Force doctrine presents air power as a unitary construct. The Air Force acknowledges the importance of the space and cyberspace domains. However, Air Force doctrine should address what unifies airmen. Thus, in the Air Force's senior doctrine product, the use of concepts and language that bind airmen together instead of presenting the Air Force as a collection of tribes broken out in technological stovepipes according to the domains of air, space, and cyberspace is appropriate. Other subordinate doctrine products delve into the differences and interdependencies of the core functions and missions conducted within and across the air, space, and cyberspace domains and within the context of more specific types of operations. Where appropriate, this product will also mention air, space, and cyberspace forces or capabilities. The Airman's Perspective The practical application of air-mindedness results in the Airman's unique perspective, which can be summarized as follows. Reference, Volume 1-Basic Doctrine Control of the vertical dimension is generally a necessary precondition for control of the surface. 
The first mission of an air force is to defeat or neutralize the enemy air forces so friendly operations on land, sea, in the air, and in space can proceed unhindered, while at the same time one's own military forces and critical vulnerabilities remain safe from air attack. Air power is an inherently strategic force. War and peace are decided, organized, planned, supplied, and commanded at the strategic level of war. Air Force forces can hold an enemy's strategic centers of gravity and critical vulnerabilities directly at risk immediately and continuously. Air power also has great strategic capability for non-lethal strategic influence, as in humanitarian relief and building partnership activities. Air power can exploit the principles of mass and maneuver simultaneously to a far greater extent than surface forces. There are no natural lateral boundaries to prevent air, space, and cyberspace capabilities from quickly concentrating their power, physically or in terms of delivered effects, at any point, even when starting from widely dispersed locations. Air power dominates the fourth dimension, time, and compresses the tempo of events to produce physical and psychological shock. Air power can apply force against many facets of enemy power. Air Force-provided capabilities can be brought to bear against any lawful target within an enemy's diplomatic, informational, military, economic, and social structures simultaneously or separately. They can be employed in support of national, combined, joint, or other component objectives. They can be integrated with surface power or employed independently. Air Force forces are less culturally intrusive in many scenarios. Surface forces are composed of many people and vehicles which, when arrayed for operations, cover a significant area. Thus, their presence may be very visible to local populations and may create resentment during certain types of stability operations and in counterinsurgency operations. Air Force forces, operating from bases over the horizon or from just a few bases in country, have a smaller footprint for the effects they provide. Space and cyberspace forces have a negligible in-theater footprint relative to the capabilities they provide. Air power's inherent speed, range, and flexibility combine to make it one of the most versatile components of military power. This versatility component allows it to be rapidly employed against strategic, operational, and tactical objectives simultaneously. The versatility of air power derives not only from the inherent characteristics of air forces themselves, but also from the manner in which they are organized and controlled. Air power results from the effective integration of capabilities, people, weapons, bases, logistics, and all supporting infrastructure. No one aspect of air, space, and cyberspace capabilities should be treated in isolation, since each element is essential and interdependent. Ultimately, the Air Force depends on the performance of the people who operate, command, and sustain air, space, and cyberspace forces. The choice of appropriate capabilities is a key aspect in the realization of air power. Weapons should be selected based on their ability to create desired effects on an adversary's capability and will. Achieving the full potential of air power requires timely, actionable intelligence and sufficient command and control capabilities to permit commanders to exploit precision, speed, range, flexibility, and versatility. Supporting bases with their people, systems, and facilities are essential to launch, recovery, and sustainment of Air Force forces. One of the most important aspects of the Air Force has proved to be its ability to move anywhere in the world quickly and then rapidly begin operations. However, the need for mobility should be balanced against the need to operate at the deployment site. 
the availability and operability of suitable bases can be the dominant factor in employment planning and execution. AirPower's unique characteristics necessitate that it be centrally controlled by airmen. AirPower can quickly intervene anywhere, regardless if used for strategic or tactical purposes. Thus, airmen tend to take a broader view of war, because the capabilities they command have effects at broader levels of war. Airmen apply air power through the tenet of centralized control and decentralized execution. Principles of Joint Operations Throughout the history of conflict, military leaders have noted certain principles that tended to produce military victory. Known as the principles of war, they are those aspects of warfare that are universally true and relevant. As members of the joint team, Airmen should appreciate how these principles apply to all forces, but should most fully understand them as they pertain to Air Force forces. Air power, no matter which service operates the systems and no matter which type of platform is used, provides unique capabilities. Valid principles, despite how deeply they are held, are no substitute for sound, professional judgment. However, ignoring them completely assumes unnecessary risk. The complexity of war in general, and the unique character of each war in particular, preclude commanders from using these principles as a checklist to guarantee victory. Rather, they serve as valuable guides to evaluate potential courses of action. The principles are independent, but tightly fused in application. No one principle should be considered without due consideration of the others. These principles are not all-inclusive. The art of developing air power strategies depends upon the airman's ability to view these principles from a three-dimensional perspective and integrate their application accordingly. The principles of war, combined with the additional tenets of air power discussed elsewhere, provide the basis for a sound and enduring doctrine for the air, space, and cyberspace forces of America's joint force. Reference, Volume 1-Basic Doctrine. The principles of war are Unity of command ensures concentration of effort for every objective under one responsible commander. This principle emphasizes that all efforts should be directed and coordinated toward a common objective. Air Power's operational level perspective calls for a unity of command to gain the most effective and efficient application. Coordination may be achieved by cooperation. However, coordination is best achieved by vesting a single commander with the authority and the capability to direct all force employment in pursuit of a common objective. In many operations, the wide-ranging interagency and non-governmental organizations involved may dilute unity of command. Effective information-sharing arrangements may preserve unity of effort to ensure common focus and mutually supporting actions. Unity of command is vital in employing air power. Air power is the product of multiple capabilities, and centralized control is essential to effectively fuse these capabilities and provide unity of command. The principle of objective is to direct military operations toward a defined and attainable objective that contributes to strategic, operational, and tactical aims. In application, this principle refers to unity of effort in purpose, space, and time. In a broad sense, this principle holds that political and military goals should be complementary and clearly articulated. A clear national military strategy provides focus for divining campaign or theater objectives. At the operational level, campaign or theater objectives determine military priorities. The objective is important due to the flexibility and versatility of air power. From the outset, Air power can pursue tactical, operational, or strategic objectives in any combination, 
or all three simultaneously. By integrating the potential offered by air, space, and cyberspace capabilities, airmen can overcome the challenges imposed by distance and time. From an airman's perspective, then, the principle of objective shapes priorities to allow air power to concentrate on theater or campaign priorities and seeks to avoid the siphoning of force elements to fragmented objectives. The purpose of an offensive action is to seize, retain, and exploit the initiative. The offensive aim is to act rather than react and to dictate the time, place, purpose, scope, intensity, and pace of operations. The initiative should be seized as soon as possible. The principle of the offensive holds that offensive action or initiative provides the means for joint forces to dictate operations. Once seized, the initiative should be retained and fully exploited. This principle is particularly significant to air power and is best used as an offensive weapon. While defense may be dictated by the combat situation, success in war is generally attained only while on the offensive. Even highly successful defensive air campaigns, such as the World War II Battle of Britain, were based upon selective offensive engagements. The speed and range of attacking air power gives it a significant offensive advantage over other forces. In an air attack, for example, the defender often requires more forces to defend a given geospatial area than the attacker requires to strike a set of specific targets. The integration of air, space, and cyberspace capabilities enhances the advantages of speed, range, and persistence found in air power. Although all military forces have offensive capabilities, air power's ability to mass and maneuver and its ability to operate independently or simultaneously at the tactical, operational, and or strategic levels of war provides joint force commanders a resource with global reach to directly and rapidly seize the initiative. Whether deploying forces and supplies into a region, conducting combat operations, or maintaining information assurance, air power provides the joint force commander the means to take the offensive. Through prompt and sustained offensive actions designed to attain operational and strategic objectives, air power causes the enemy to react rather than act, denies them the offensive, and shapes the remainder of the conflict. The purpose of mass is to concentrate the effects of combat power at the most advantageous place and time to achieve decisive results. Concentration of military power is a fundamental consideration in all military operations. At the operational level of war, this principle suggests that superior concentrated combat power is used to achieve decisive results. Air power is singularly able to launch an attack from widely dispersed locations and mass combat power at the objective whether that objective is a single physical location or a widely dispersed enemy system or systems. From an airman's perspective, mass is not based solely on the quantity of forces and material committed. Air power achieves mass through effectiveness of attack, not just overwhelming numbers. Contemporary air power has altered the concept of massed forces. The speed, range, and flexibility of air power complemented by the accuracy and lethality of precision weapons and advances in information technologies, allow it to achieve mass faster than other forces. Air Force cyberspace capabilities, often enabled by space systems, allow dispersed forces to collaborate to rapidly find, fix, track, and target fleeting targets and mass a response in new ways. Previously, operators and planners worked in relative proximity within the same theater of operations. Today, those same planners and operators leverage distributed capabilities to apply precise effects around the globe. 
Airlift and air refueling provide a significant and critical capability to mass lethal and non-lethal forces on a global scale. The capability of air power to act quickly in mass effects, along with its capability to mass other lethal and non-lethal military power, combine the principle of mass with the principle of maneuver. Maneuver places the enemy in a position of disadvantage through the flexible application of combat power in a multidimensional combat space. Air power's ability to conduct maneuver is not only a product of its speed and range, but also flows from its flexibility and versatility during the planning and execution of operations. Maneuver, like the principle of offensive, forces the enemy to react, allowing the exploitation of successful, friendly operations and reducing friendly vulnerabilities. Air power maneuver allows engagement anywhere, from any direction, at any time, forcing the adversary to be on guard everywhere. The principle of maneuver is not limited to simple weapons delivery. Maneuver may involve the strategic positioning of capabilities that bring potential air power to bear within striking distance of potential or actual adversaries. Forward deployment of air power assets is one example of maneuver that, by its very presence, can reassure allies and deter aggressors. Also, in airlift operations, such as support hope in Rwanda, provide hope in the former Soviet Union, or provide promise in Bosnia, focused civil-military operations and exercises that support theater security cooperation goals, such as Pacific Angel, or combat operations, such as Allied Force in Serbia, Enduring freedom in Afghanistan or Iraqi freedom in Iraq, air power has played a critical role in American national security by providing unmatched maneuverability. Whether it involves airlift or attack aircraft, in small or large numbers, the versatility and responsiveness of air power allow the simultaneous application of mass and maneuver. Economy of force is the judicious employment and distribution of forces. Its purpose is to allocate minimum essential resources to secondary efforts. This principle calls for the rational use of force by selecting the best mix of air, space, and cyberspace capabilities. To ensure overwhelming combat power is available, maximum effort should be devoted to primary objectives. At the operational level of war, commanders ensure that any effort made towards secondary objectives does not degrade achievement of the larger operational or strategic objectives. This principle requires airmen to maintain a broader operational view even as they seek to obtain clearly articulated objectives and priorities. Economy of force may require a commander to establish a balance in the application of air power between attacking, defending, delaying, or conducting other operations, such as information operations, depending on the importance of the area or the priority of the objective or objectives. Also, priorities may shift rapidly. Friendly troops in contact might drive a change in priority from one type of mission, e.g. interdiction, to another, e.g. close air support. Although this principle suggests the use of overwhelming force in one sense, it also recommends guarding against the overkill inherent in the use of more force than reasonably necessary. This is particularly relevant when excessive force can diminish the legitimacy and support for an operation. The purpose of security is to never permit the enemy to acquire unexpected advantage. Friendly forces and their operations should be protected from enemy action that could provide the enemy with unexpected advantage. The lethal consequences of enemy attack make the security of friendly forces a paramount concern. 
Critical to security is the understanding that it embraces physical security, operations security, and security of the information environment. Information has always been part of air, land, and sea warfare. Now, with the proliferation of advanced communications and computer technologies, it becomes even more central to the outcome of a conflict. Aircraft are most vulnerable on the ground. Thus, force protection is an integral part of air power employment. Fixed bases are especially vulnerable, as they not only should withstand aerial, ground, and cyberspace attacks, but should also sustain concentrated and prolonged air, space, and cyberspace activities against the enemy. From an airman's perspective, security also may be obtained by staying beyond the enemy's reach, physically and virtually. Air power is uniquely suited to capitalize on this through its ability to operate over the horizon. Not only can air power reach and strike at extended range, but it can also distribute data and analysis, as well as command and control across a worldwide span. Security from physical and electronic enemy intrusion conceals our capabilities and intentions, while allowing friendly forces the freedom to gather information on the adversary, the type of information that creates the opportunity to strike the enemy where least expected. By exploiting the vertical mediums of air and space, airmen provide security for our nation and friendly forces by detecting enemy actions and determining intentions even in denied areas. Commanders have an obligation to protect their forces, but the threat and the means for countering it are quite different in contingency operations. The threat varies depending on local circumstances, but the commander must be aware that it always exists. Although U.S. forces have a right to self-defense, airmen must bear in mind the concepts of necessity and proportionality when exercising that right, as discussed in the Standing Rules of Engagement. Necessity exists when a hostile act occurs or when a force demonstrates hostile intent. Use of force is then authorized while the force continues to commit hostile acts or exhibit hostile intent. Proportionality means the use of force should be sufficient to respond decisively and may exceed the means and intensity of the hostile act intent, but the nature, duration, and scope of force should not exceed what is required. The concepts of necessity and proportionality as applicable to self-defense should not be confused with those of military necessity and proportionality as applicable in the law of armed conflict which together seek to minimize collateral damage during offensive or defensive operations during armed conflict. Indeed, the defense of friendly forces against enemy attack during armed conflict would not, subject to prevailing rules of engagement, involve the concept of self-defense at all. Surprise leverages the principle of security by attacking the enemy at a time, place, or in a manner for which they are not prepared. The speed and range of air, space, and cyberspace capabilities, coupled with their flexibility and versatility, allow air forces to achieve surprise more readily than other forces. The final choice of timing and tactics rests with the air component commander because terrain and distance are not inhibiting factors. Surprise is one of air power's strongest advantages. Operation El Dorado Canyon, the U.S. raid on Libya, and the opening day of the air campaign during Operation Desert Storm highlight examples where air power achieved surprise. Air power can enhance and empower other forces to achieve surprise as well. The rapid global reach of air power can enable surface forces to reach foreign destinations quickly, thus seizing the initiative through surprise. 
Simplicity calls for avoiding unnecessary complexity in organizing, preparing, planning, and conducting military operations. Simplicity ensures that guidance, plans, and orders are as simple and direct as the objective allows. Simple guidance allows subordinate commanders the freedom to operate creatively within their portion of the operational environment, supporting the concept of decentralized execution. Common equipment, a common understanding of service and joint doctrine, and familiarity with procedures through joint exercises and training can help overcome complexity. Straightforward plans, unambiguous organization, and clearly defined command relationships are central to reducing complexity as well. Additional Principles of Operation In addition to the traditionally held principles of war, an additional set of principles has been developed as a result of experience in contingency operations. These were first cast as principles of military operations other than war, and later as the political dimension of smaller-scale contingencies. A distinguishing characteristic of such operations has been the degree to which political objectives influence operations and tactics. Note that joint doctrine does not contain unity of effort as an additional principle. These additional principles are Often the military is not the sole or even the lead agency in contingency operations. Some operations are, by their nature, predominantly military. In most situations, however, the military will likely be one agency of many. As is especially common in stability operations, military forces often find themselves supporting the other instruments of national power. While unity of command is critical within the military forces, most of these operations demand unity of effort among a wide range of agencies to ensure that they coordinate their resources and focus on the same goal. Unity of effort becomes critical during interagency operations and can best be achieved through consensus building. Whereas the main effort in military planning is on developing courses of action, the main effort in interagency planning should be to develop a shared, detailed understanding of the situation. This allows the various agencies to better understand how they can best apply their respective capabilities and measure success. Restraint is the disciplined application of military force appropriate to the situation. Commanders should recognize that in some types of operations, use of more force than the minimum that is reasonably necessary, even though under or at the maximum permissible, may lead to escalation to a higher intensity conflict, could adversely affect efforts to gain or maintain legitimacy, and may impede the attainment of both short- and long-term goals. Air component commanders should begin developing a force structure by outlining the necessary capabilities needed for an operation and then follow up by deploying the appropriate tailored air, space, and cyberspace force mix. In order to maintain effective security while also exercising restraint, commanders should develop very clear rules on the use of force and rules of engagement. The rules of engagement for contingency operations are often more restrictive, detailed, and sensitive to political concerns than in sustained combat operations. Moreover, these rules may change frequently during operations. For all operations, airmen should understand that restraint in the use of force is appropriate and more easily justified. However, restraint does not preclude the ability to use armed force, both lethal and non-lethal, when necessary in self-defense. The principle of perseverance encompasses the patient, resolute, and persistent pursuit of national goals and objectives for as long as necessary to achieve them. 
Some contingency operations involve a one-time occurrence or a short-term operation to maintain stability until local authorities can take over. Many missions, however, especially peace operations and building partner capacity, require a long-term commitment. The U.S. should be prepared to stay involved in a region for a protracted time in order to achieve its strategic goals. Complex problems often cannot be solved quickly. If a situation has been building for a long time, it may take the same amount of time or longer to resolve it. With this in mind, objectives should be established for the conditions under which forces may leave, rather than simply by a timetable for departure. In order to reduce the threat to U.S. forces and to enable them to work toward their objective, the U.S. should be viewed as a legitimate actor in the mission, working towards multilateral interests, including our own. While legitimacy is principally generated by U.S. political leadership, legitimacy in the eyes of the host nation or target population could be affected more by the actions of the military. One key means of promoting legitimacy for certain types of contingency operations is through robust and effective military public affairs operations. Commanders should work closely with the host nation government, if in fact there is one, at all levels to help preserve and foster the sense of legitimacy of mission. Tenets of Air Power The application of air power is refined by several fundamental guiding truths. These truths are known as tenets. They reflect not only the unique historical and doctrinal evolution of air power, but also the current appreciation for the nature of air power. The tenets of air power complement the principles of joint operations. While the principles of war provide general guidance on the application of military forces, the tenets provide more specific considerations for the employment of air power. The tenets of air power are identified below. Reference, Volume 1-Basic Doctrine. The tenet of centralized control and decentralized execution is critical to effective employment of air power. Indeed, they are the fundamental organizing principles for air power, having been proven over decades of experience as the most effective and efficient means of employing it. This tenet enables the principle of mass while maintaining economy of force. Because of air power's unique potential to directly affect the strategic and operational levels of war, it should be controlled by a single airman who maintains the broad, strategic perspective necessary to balance and prioritize the use of a powerful, highly desired yet limited force. A single air component commander, focused on the broader aspects of an operation, can best balance or mediate urgent demands for tactical support against longer-term strategic and operational requirements. The ability to concentrate the air effort to fulfill the highest priorities for effects and to quickly shift the effort can only be accomplished through centralized control. On the other hand, the flexibility to take advantage of tactical opportunities and to effectively respond to shifting local circumstances can only be achieved through decentralized execution. This tenet is best appreciated as a general philosophy for the command and control of air power. The construct of centralized control is an encapsulation of a hard-learned truth. The control of a valuable yet scarce resource, air power, should be commanded by a single airman, not parceled out and hardwired to subordinate surface echelons as it was prior to 1943. Tied to this fundamental truth is the recognition that no single airman is capable of making all decisions and should thus empower subordinates to respond in accordance with senior leader intent. 
Centralized controls should be accomplished by an airman at the functional component commander level who maintains a broad focus on the Joint Force Commander's objectives to direct, integrate, prioritize, plan, coordinate, and assess the use of air, space, and cyberspace assets across the range of military operations. Centralized control may be manifest at different levels within a combatant command, depending on how the air component or components is or are organized, and the nature of the supporting command and control architecture, functional or geographic. Also, due to the dynamics of the operational environment, control over some capabilities may, over time, shift up or down the command chain according to changes in priorities. Centralized control empowers the air component commander to respond to changes in the operational environment and take advantage of fleeting opportunities, and embodies the tenet of flexibility and versatility. Some would rather this be just centralized planning and direction. From an airman's perspective, planning and directing do not convey all aspects of control implied in centralized control, which maximizes the flexibility and effectiveness of air power. Centralized control is thus pivotal to the determination of continuing advantage. However, it should not become a recipe for micromanagement, stifling the initiative subordinates need to deal with combat's inevitable uncertainties. Decentralized execution is defined as the delegation of authority to designated lower-level commanders and other tactical-level decision-makers to achieve effective span of control and to foster disciplined initiative and tactical flexibility. It allows subordinates, all the way down to the tactical level, to exploit situational responsiveness and fleeting opportunities in rapidly changing, fluid situations. The benefits inherent in decentralized execution, however, are maximized only when a commander clearly communicates intent and subordinate commanders frame their actions accordingly. Centralized control and decentralized execution of air power provide broad global or theater-wide focus while allowing operational flexibility to meet military objectives. They assure concentration of effort while maintaining economy of force. They exploit air power's versatility and flexibility to ensure that it remains responsive, survivable, and sustainable. Execution should be decentralized within a C2 architecture that exploits the ability of frontline decision-makers, such as strike package leaders, air battle managers, forward air controllers, to make unseen decisions during complex, rapidly unfolding operations. Modern communications technology may tempt commanders to take direct control of distant events and override the decisions of forward leaders, even when such control is not operationally warranted. This should be resisted at all costs in all functional components, not just air. Despite impressive gains in data exploitation and automated decision aids, a single person cannot, with confidence, achieve and maintain detailed situational awareness over individual missions when fighting a conflict involving many simultaneous engagements taking place throughout a large area, or over individual missions conducted in locally fluid and complex environments. There may be some situations where there may be valid reasons for control of specific operations at higher levels, most notably when the JFC, or perhaps even higher authorities, may wish to control strategic effects, even at the sacrifice of tactical efficiency. However, such instances should be rare, as in the short-notice prosecution of high-value, time-sensitive targets, or when the operational climate demands tighter control over selected missions due to political sensitivities such as the potential for collateral damage or mistargeting, or in the case of nuclear employment. 
In all cases, senior commanders balance overall campaign execution against the pressing need for tactical effectiveness. As long as the subordinate's decision supports the superior commander's intent and meets campaign objectives, subordinates should be allowed to take the initiative during execution. Although often used interchangeably, flexibility and versatility are different. Flexibility allows air power to exploit mass and maneuver simultaneously. Flexibility allows air power to shift from one campaign objective to another quickly and decisively, to go downtown on one sortie, then hit fielded enemy forces the next, to re-roll assets quickly from a pre-planned mission to support an unanticipated need for close air support of friendly troops in contact with enemy forces. Versatility is the ability to employ air power effectively at the strategic, operational, and tactical levels of war and provide a wide variety of tasks in concert with other joint force elements. Air power has the potential to achieve this unmatched synergy through asymmetric and parallel operations. Space and cyberspace capabilities are especially able to simultaneously support multiple taskings around the globe and support tasks at all levels of warfare. Synergistic effects. The proper application of a coordinated force across multiple domains can produce effects that exceed the contributions of forces employed individually. The destruction of a large number of targets through attrition warfare is rarely the key objective in modern war. Instead, the objective is the precise, coordinated application of the various elements of air power and surface power to bring disproportionate pressure on enemy leaders to comply with our national will affecting their intent, or to cause functional defeat of the enemy forces, affecting their capability. Air power's ability to observe adversaries allows joint force commanders to counter enemy movements with unprecedented speed and agility. Air power is unique in its ability to dictate the tempo and direction of an entire warfighting effort, regardless of the scale of the operation. Persistence Airspace and cyberspace operations may be conducted continuously against a broad spectrum of targets. Air power's exceptional speed and range allow its forces to visit and revisit wide ranges of targets nearly at will. Air power does not have to occupy terrain or remain constantly in proximity to areas of operation to bring force upon targets. Space forces in particular hold the ultimate high ground, And as space systems continue to advance and proliferate, they offer the potential for persistent overhead access. Unmanned aircraft systems offer similar possibilities from the atmosphere. Examples of persistent operations might be maintaining a continuous flow of material to peacetime distressed areas. Air Force intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance capabilities monitoring adversaries to ensure they cannot conduct actions counter to those agreed upon assuring that targets are kept continually out of commission, or ensuring that resources and facilities are denied an enemy or provided to an ally during a specified time. The end result would be to deny the opponent an opportunity to seize the initiative and to directly accomplish assigned tasks. Factors such as enemy resilience, effective defenses, or environmental concerns may prevent commanders from quickly attaining their objectives. However, for many situations, Air power provides the most efficient and effective means to attain national objectives. Commanders must persist in the conduct of operations and resist pressures to divert resources to other efforts unless such diversions are vital to attaining theater goals or to survival of an element of the joint force. 
Given sufficient time, even the most devastating strategic effects can be circumvented by resourceful enemies. The goal is to keep pressure on and not allow the enemy that time. Concentration. One of the most constant and important trends throughout military history has been the effort to concentrate overwhelming power at the decisive time and place. The principles of mass and economy of force deal directly with concentrating overwhelming power at the right time and the right place or places. The versatility of air power with its lethality, speed, and persistence makes it an attractive option for many tasks. With capabilities as flexible and versatile as air power, the demand for them often exceeds the available forces and may result in the fragmentation of the integrated air power effort in attempts to fulfill the many demands of the operation. Depending on the operational situation, such a course of action may court the triple risk of failing to achieve operation-level objectives, delaying or diminishing the attainment of decisive effects, and increasing the attrition rate of air forces, and consequently risking defeat. Airmen should guard against the inadvertent dilution of air power effects resulting from high demand. Priority Commanders should establish clear priorities for the use of air power. Due to its inherent flexibility and versatility, the demands for air power may likely exceed available resources. If commanders fail to establish priorities, they can become ineffective. Commanders of all components need to effectively prioritize their requirements for coordinated air power effects to the joint force commander, and only then can effective priorities for the use of air power flow from an informed dialogue between the joint force commander and the air component commander. The air component commander should assess the possible uses of component forces and their strengths and capabilities to support the overall joint campaign. Limited resources require that air power be applied where it can make the greatest contribution to the most critical current joint force commander requirements. The application of air power should be balanced among its ability to conduct operations at all levels of war, often simultaneously. The principles of mass, offensive, and economy of force, the tenet of concentration, and the airman's strategic perspective all apply to prioritizing air power. Balance is an essential guideline for air commanders. Much of the skill of an air component commander is reflected in the dynamic and correct balancing of the principles of joint operations and the tenets of air power to bring air force capabilities together to produce synergistic effects. An air component commander should balance combat opportunity, necessity, effectiveness, efficiency, and the impact on accomplishing assigned objectives against the associated risk to friendly forces. An airman is uniquely and best suited to determine the proper theater-wide balance between offensive and defensive air operations and among strategic, operational, and tactical applications. Air, space, and cyberspace assets are normally available only in finite numbers. Thus, balance is a crucial determinant for an air component commander.